Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Product Coalition podcast. Great to have you listening in. Thank you very much. Welcome to Dom Katz. Thank you for having me, Jay. Looking forward to this session. Today we're going to be talking about product ops. Um, quite a trendy term that's getting thrown around in the product space. So looking forward to chatting through that with you, Dom. Um, before we get started, a uh, big shout out and thank you to Brainmates, Brainmates, the location sponsor for this Sydney-based podcast series. Brainmates is a product management training and consulting team based in Australia, New Zealand and Denver in the USA. Find out more about Brainmates' three-day course for product folks on the 9th of December in Denver at Brainmates. If you just discovered the Product Coalition, welcome. Uh, we're a global product management community that started out as a publication at productcoalition.com back in 2014. Since then, we've also grown a Slack community of over 5,000 product managers that's free to join if you want to grab an invite at productcoalition.com. If you'd like to watch this podcast of me and Dom, uh, visit YouTube and search Product Coalition. Product Coalition is 100% funded by community support. So if you'd like to support the podcast, the publication or the Slack community, you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash product co. Dom, welcome. Thank great you, Jay. To, great to have you here. To be here. Looking forward to um, chatting all things product ops yes. over the next half hour or so. Uh, but before we do, um, everyone has to go through the Sydney pub quiz experience as a guest <laughs> of the Sydney series. Um, so we've got some, uh, some good Sydney questions, Dom. How long have you lived in Sydney now? About seven years. Seven years Sydney's yeah. been home? Okay, all right. Well, let's test how, how much you've known about your new home. Okay. Um, the Sydney, the beautiful Sydney Opera House down on the water behind us is, um, is world-renowned. But how many events per year are held at the Sydney Opera House? Well, um, it's probably a whole lot more than you think. Like 2,000 events? No, no. But not bad. 3,000. Oh, right. Okay. 3,000 events and uh, 200,000 people a year take a guided tour. And I need to be one of those people while I'm in Sydney because I've only ever seen it from the outside. It, well, in fact, in the last seven years, have you done a guided tour of the inside of that Prat? Not a guided tour, but I've been in there to watch something. Which was oh, that's pretty, pretty good. Okay. Who, who did, what did you watch? Oh, just a comedy show. Like, no, nothing fancy. Oh, right. you know, no opera or something. Just a... Um, Didn't take uh, advantage of the full acoustic experience. Not quite, not quite, but it's... Uh, it's an amazing experience if you haven't been there. Brilliant. Okay. Um, next up, uh, we've got uh, in in 1991, one and two cent coins were phased out of the currency system here in Australia. Um, what were they melted down and used for? <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. What could that be? 2000 Olympics as bronze medals. All right. There you go. It's mm. good use. And yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, 30 years of no one and two cent coins, which I do like. Um, I wish we had the same in England with uh, our pennies. Uh, okay. Lastly, who in 1973 opened the Sydney Opera House? Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> right. um, I'm not the Prime Minister then. Prime Minister's boss. The Queen. Yes. Wow. She made the visit in 1973. Um, and she's visited four times since, but I doubt she was at your comedy show. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> All good. Uh, Don, being a Sydney cider, wh what's your favourite spot by the water? Uh, um, that's got to be Parsley Bay. It's a really, really nice little harbour beach in the eastern suburbs of Sydney. Um and it's beautiful because we've 
three little kids and it's quite calm. It has a beautiful beach itself, but then a kiosk and a playground and a nice shady area and there's a little um, bridge on top of the water. Like it's, it's beautiful, like many happy memories over there. Lovely. Okay, thank you. And which direction from the city is that for people listening around? Uh, Eastern, Eastern suburbs. Eastern yeah, suburbs. Okay, yep. fantastic. Um, and in Sydney, is there a favourite meetup or event, conference that yeah. you enjoy? Yeah, I think um, I definitely spent more time on meetups and events, but I've been recently invited to Product Tank meetup, okay. um, which which is awesome. There's a, a really good lineup of speakers regularly and, and really good crowd, and I can only recommend anyone being in the Sydney um, Sydney community or visiting the Sydney community to go to Product Tank. Awesome. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Um, Dom, before we l- jump into the world of Product Ops, what's been your career path that's yeah. got, got you, I suppose, from Germany to Australia and everything in between to get you into product? Yeah, um, it's, <laughs> it's been quite a journey to, um, to get to the point now. But um, I've been a management consultant all my life before, right. um, before this current role. Um, starting off in the Netherlands um, at a um, at a management consultancy, and you know it's a typical BA project manager, change management type um, type role, um, and I got the chance to come over with the company to Australia. Um, the one sort of defining experience I had uh, with the consultancy was to be part of their they call it accelerated solutions environment, but it's a massive workshop environment where they do real facilitation really strategic big um big workshops and big sessions to um and i got the chance to sort of see the masters at work real real facilitations and it's it's very different to just you know you run a workshop and you facilitate that like they're, they're really skilled at that space and they're specifically skilled in um creating collaboration environment and really getting getting who is in there from zero to 100 really really quickly to think about every single thing um, that, that you might sort of encounter in a workshop environment. So that's been, that's been a vastly shaping experience for me. Um, and then just being stuck on one of these massive waterfall projects, um, I got connected to um, Sarah Atkinson, who was the co-founder of a boutique agile transformation consultancy at the time. And uh, we caught up and she showed me around the sort of the workspace and um, basically introduced me to all that is agile and, I felt like um, I've seen the light. And I've always had the feeling that there must be a better way to run these projects, right? Yep. But um, having heard talks through some of the principles and the values that she lives through, I, I, I just couldn't help but think like, oh my God, like this is, this is where I need to be. And I still remember a phone call with her where I actively tried to convince her not to hire me because I had no prior experience. I wasn't qualified officially or certified in anything. And she said, we, we need a somebody who understands people and facilitation and how to create workshops and our values and principles are aligned, so you'll be fine. It's like, are you sure? Because I'm, you know, and, um, and she, she hired me and she'll, she'll always have a really um, soft spot in my heart for, um, for doing that. Brilliant. And then being at, um, at the consultancy within sort of the agile space, the, I think that the two defining experiences there were really um, being part of the digital transformation office um, at the time, which is a government um, government agency created to disrupt government and, and introduce um, sort of digital services, really the high frequent um, frequently used services. And what they were also met was um, to really create fully cross functional teams, which means 
having user researchers in there and content designers and front-end, back-end product people, delivery people, like all being really, really close together. Um, and I learned the value of actual user research, like real discovery work, which which I don't think um, many organizations really um, really value or it's something that sort of happens, you know, in the research space somewhere hidden away. Separately, right, okay. Yeah. Um, so that was that was vastly educational. And then um, because it's consult- consultancy, we also got into um, things like HR and agile HR and how do... How does a ah. massive HR team look at their ways of working and try to improve using some of the same principles, just you know, pragmatically applied, if you will? Um, and then I got to um, to Sightminder, where where I am now. Brilliant. Yeah. So c- coming into Sightminder um, is also been coming into the world of product ops as it's yeah. defining itself, sort of in in the recent. In recent years, it sort of come to light as a as a role or a set of responsibilities that need looking at, and I suppose has been wrapped up with this product ops almost job title mm. in some organisations. Um, could could you tell me how how did product ops come to be a, a thing for yeah. someone like Sightminder, and w- what was that journey for you? Yeah, um, how how it became a thing um, was really starting about. Um, this time a year ago, a bit okay. earlier maybe. And Sightminder was preparing to scale, like really big growth ambitions. Um, and Sorry, Dom. Do you want to just share a little bit about yes. Sightminder's yes. value? Yes. Um, so um, Sightminder is a global guest acquisition platform. And what that means is essentially um, helping hoteliers, um, or liberate hoteliers to to um, allow them to focus on what they do best, which is um, caring for their guests, right? So we do a whole bunch of things and have a whole bunch of products that allow them to um, uh, get people in there and, and um, into their hotels and, and make the best possible experience for their guests. Okay. Um, there's a whole bunch of products that sit around it, but that's really um, that's really the core. Okay. Um, and our core customers are, um, are hoteliers. Um, but... They have really strong growth ambitions. Um, they're essentially a global tech company, right? And, and right. Being, being here in the Rocks in Sydney, they um, were preparing to scale, um, really ambitious, and they looked at their ways of working and they went, well, we're trying so hard to um, produce value to other customers and, and within the business, but we can't really seem to reach our potential with everything that we could be doing. Um, and they were... Um, Engaging the consultancy that I was at at the time to um, to do some research and, and help with their ways of working, and the there are a couple of answers to that question of why you don't reach the potential though you're trying so hard, right? And right. I think that the short answer is that sometimes when you're trying your hardest, you're actually at your worst. You know, you get so stuck into it and you're so mm. motivated and just go 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 that you don't take a step back to actually th- see and look how to improve things and how things are actually going. That's a short answer. The, the slightly longer answer is that um, we're in, um, doing some research with the product teams that were there and with everyone sort of sitting outside of the actual product organization. So sales and support and marketing and partnerships and everyone that you know has a stake in the product being successful. Um, and what we found there was that there are a whole bunch of challenges that you know some are skills and individual based, some are on a team level and some are just organizational structural challenges um, and we set about 
solving them. What it, awesome. what it, what it came down to is that there are a couple of questions that the teams couldn't really answer consistently. Right. Basic questions like, why are we even doing this? Like, what's the strategy behind um, what we're building? Who is the user? What's the user need? What's the actual priority? Um, when will we deliver what? Yeah. Um, the question that everyone wants the answer to. Have we communicated the change to our customers, to our stakeholders, to our internal staff? Um, and then, is it being used? Is it successful? What are we learning by it being out there? And how does that inform our roadmap going forward? Fantastic. Um, so that's sort of the basis of um, the challenge that Sideminer tried to tackle. Okay. And um, about half a year, nine months later, they went, okay, w we're using the... <coughs> Apologies. Um, we are now um, using um, the ways of working framework that we created sort of as a response to all those challenges. No problem. Mm. No, okay, now now we're ready for the next w next step, and I think that's when they when that's when we try to think about well, how do we call that? How do we call a function that looks at product delivery end to end, and how to make that more effective? And we uh, product operations felt right. Okay, and um, that's where that's where the term um, came from, and I was glad enough to be um, to be right. part of that journey. Okay, for me, um, just to summarize, like into two parts it's around bringing clarity to the the vision the purpose and, and the product management function yeah. but also integrity to the delivery quality the cycles the the throughput of delivery yeah um as well um i can see why your background in facilitation <laughs> makes you so well mm. suited for this um being able to respect the different types of minds in a room with those back in your day of bringing together, you know, massive workshops yeah, yeah. on transformations of work. Um, but on a day-to-day on -day basis, what are the types of pillars that are driving your decisions of um, what you focus on, what you don't focus on, and how you're creating, measuring how you're creating value for the business? Yeah, um, that's, that's a really good question. There's a whole bunch of stuff um, in there. So the, the pillars that, that we try to structure our work around is... Um, basically, you can think about it as a three-pronged Venn diagram with uh, product engineering and um, the rest of the business. Um, for sort of the product folk, um, what we mainly um, work with on a day-to-day -day basis is how do we prioritize our work? What's um, how do we bring the strategy closer to the to the actual team and, and being really sort of able to ladder up why we're doing these things. Um, how do we prepare for roadmaps? What does that even look like? How do we present and talk to it? And also uh, people. Now how do we onboard people and get them ramp up really quickly and giving them the tools um, that they need? For the overlap between product and engineering, what we really aim for is drive collaboration between those terms. And for that, we have um, our ways of working framework, which we lovingly call RODA. Right which is essentially um, research, design, development, and evaluate. Okay. Um, being so close to the harbour, <coughs> being so close to the harbour here in Sydney, there's a really nice analogy with having a rudder, which if you look at the definition is allowing you to go really fast um, while maintaining stability. Right, okay. Which is sort of, yeah. you know, the, the thing that we're, we're driving towards, we want to enable our teams to go fast, but not 
just completely off the rails. We want to still mm. um, move towards our vision, if you will. Um, so that's been a huge part of our work to, to really look at, well, what's involved in um, even having an idea? Where do ideas come from? How do we um, fall in love with the product, uh, with the problem rather than, you know, driving towards a solution and introducing a lot of that language? Right, okay. Could you talk to me about um, <coughs> how how you identify a win then in, in the products mm. op space? What's, um, what's a a good way of going, you know what, product ops is really working for us and we, we can we can see and feel the change. How, how have you identified that? <coughs> Sorry, no problem. Um, so how do we um, go about um, identifying the value and really measuring success? Um, is currently really the measure of success is are we solving problems? Are we removing impediments for the team? And that can be on an individual basis, on a on a on a team basis, or on a on an organizational level, um, there's one example where one of the big problems and um, a strategy induced problem where suddenly we introduce a whole bunch of dependencies across all product teams. So one of the things that we did in order to tackle um, that problem was to um, come together and do some big room planning. Right. So all of the product teams sharing their priorities. Um, sharing their perceived dependencies and and sort of mapping it out on a um, on a timeline to see well what are we actually working with what do we what do other teams expect of us and that is now our um, go to artifact a massive wall within the office with all of the initiatives all of the problems that we're trying to solve across all um, product teams um, across rather right across right. what's currently in research what's currently in design um, and and having that as an artifact and th- the way we measure success is not um quantitative yet in in any way right it's very qualitative but to see that one um the whole business is talking at the wall pointing at things and the product managers um, and engineering managers drag their team towards that wall to talk and plan and things being, right. being actively taken up and used that fast that's the measure of success right okay and i suppose if that wasn't there as a as an artifact, yeah, um, the outcomes would be di- may be different because yeah. it was then around hearsay or meetings or those yeah, exactly, things. And, and things are just then um, sort of disappear and, right. and you, you don't really know what's going on. Um, and obviously, that's a very qualitative um, measure of success. I, I think eventually, I'd love to look more at um, cycle time and see what you know what what's the shape of our work and the different shapes of our work. How long does it really take, and is there something that we can that we can tweak? Not to say that every little thing or idea needs to get into customers' hands, but mm. for the things that do go through, what you know, where where they get they get stuck, and what kind of impediments are on those things? It certainly f- feels and sounds like there, there's some maximization mm. in terms of product ops here. It's around the maximization of everything else we invest in. Yeah, product ops gets us more out of those investments. But yeah. That be a right type of analogy. Yeah, and and um, that's a really good way to frame it. And um, I really like how Atlassian's Dom Price right. talks about um, the difference between growing and scaling. And the way he talks about that is, he says, growing is just adding people. It's just doing more because you do more with people. You add people to um, to what you already have, and that's why you can do more. 
versus scaling is really solving problems to enable the people that you have to do more. Right, okay. And I really, really like that difference, and I think that's really the core of what product ops is enabling at SiteMinder, to look systematically at all the impediments that stand stand in the way of effective product delivery and solving those to allow our product teams to do more with what they already have rather than just adding people to, which makes it in the end more complex, right? You know, it's yes, it, it doesn't really solve anything. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So for an organization that may be feeling like there is an opportunity to maximize the investment of the existing product marketing sales and, and get them more, more glued together and creating more value more rapidly. Mm. What's some of the first steps that an organization can take to create this change and experiment on if this type of solution is right for them, where would you start? I think the first starting point has to be the acknowledgement that you could do things more effective. Okay. And to the credit of, of SiteMinder and um, especially our chief product officer who drove a lot of um, a lot of the change was to say, there's something not right here and we're standing in our own way. And to allow for some slack in the system. So what SiteMinder did is they, you know, they started off with, with sort of a, a consultancy and to, to get started and do some research, but um, their intent was always to really bake it in to the ways of working fundamentally, and that's why they created the role. Right. But to start off with is the acknowledgement that, um, that there needs to be some slack off in the system, that our teams can't just always run at 100% and go, 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 go. There needs to be some slack of the system, some slack in the system to look for opportunities and look for things that one team may be doing really, really well that you can just sort of extrapolate and have other teams use as well. And when you when you sort of acknowledge that yes, there, there is an opportunity to do things better, start by just asking your teams and doing a massive retro, essentially, right? right? Okay. Like a system, uh, an organization wide. Retro that looks at product teams and everything that sort of sit sit around it and go, oh, what's currently happening from idea to something live and being in the hands of the customer? What are the steps? What things do we do? Um, what's working really, really well that we should keep and probably elevate? What's um, currently blocking us? And what would you change? Right. Taking that and then working towards it. And whether you call it product ops or something else, doesn't really matter, but um, trying to remove those impediments, I think, is, is is crucial. Right. Can I ask, is, is is there some personality traits that you think differentiate a, of someone who's very effective at product ops to someone who's very effective at product management? Do you, do you see some personality differences or style differences that, that make, make someone gr- great or more born for the role like yourself yeah, um, right, for, uh, for product ops? That's a really good question. Um I think what what drives product ops or the value of product ops is we don't easily get stuck in the content or you know right. the actual thing that you're building or the the feature we um, enable conversation about it so we we try to not get attached to to anything really quickly so we, right. we try to be the facilitators of the conversation yes. if you will right and be able to to look systematically or on the process and the practices rather than the content of things. I think um, the product managers that we have, they're amazing at really 
sort of owning something and and driving towards value and outcome and um the team um that we're currently comprised with it which is a scrum coach and, and some of the scrum masters um they really look at sort of process and how we how we tweak things but but sort of try to stay out of the the content bits and get too attached to their ideas right okay interesting and and for someone that's wants to up their game in terms of facilitation um, which is uh, you know obviously been a big part of your life uh, stepping into professional facilitation yeah. well, what's some of the things people can do that might not feel they're particularly strong at facilitating how do you, how do you improve that and and and, uh, and approach it in a way that you can get better outcomes from your workshops etc doing it i doing think it. that's really um what what keeps us often from actually facilitating is not to spot opportunities for facilitation. So where, like an easy way to start is taking ownership of a meeting and actually facilitating it, which means driving towards an outcome of that meeting, right? We, all, we way too often get into meetings, everyone sit, ar- sit around, there's no agenda, there's the meeting title um, and just running a meeting and then people leave and go, well, okay, yep. thanks. But you, even those small things using that as opportunity to facilitate. And people always uh, often assume that facilitation is sort of, you know, front of room, leading a conversation towards the room, but actually the real facilitation happens way before. Like it's all the preparation and thinking about who needs to be there? What are we talking about? What's the agenda? Like how do we get to the outcome? Like what are the steps? Where are people at? And how do we get them into a different mindset? That's all facilitation, I think. Um, there's heaps right. of opportunity if you look for that. I imagine being able to read people as well is... Uh, and somewhere like Australia, we have such a strong immigration mm. you know, base for the population here. Different people, different cultures, different backgrounds will express themselves differently in workshop environments. Oh, 100%. I, I wouldn't quite start there, but yep. that's, it's such a, such an important skill to develop when you can see you know, how tired is the room. Do we need a break now or do we push ahead and... Are people engaged or not? I think that, yeah, absolutely. That's a, um, that's a good skill to develop. Going into mastery of... We should do a different podcast on, on facilitation. facilitation. Oh, I love that. Yeah, that absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. As well as see maybe in six to 12 months of where the world of product ops has got to. Keep me honest. Between, <laughs> <laughs> between now and then, if you practice what you preach. Yeah. Fantastic. Thank yeah. you, Jay. Thanks, Dom. This has been um, great. It's great to share um, an opinion on the world of product ops. It's um, more and more brought to the surface in product management, writing, podcasts, etc. So it's great to have a conversation with you on it. Thank you. Thank you for Brainmates for hosting us today um, in this Sydney-based podcast series. Thank you all for listening to another episode of the Product Coalition. And I look forward to bringing another guest to you next week. Thanks. Thanks very much. Thank you for having me, Jay. Pleasure.